Gearing up to start all over again, welcome to Hand of Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode hand. Uh, welcome to episode hand. Welcome to episode three hundred and seventy-nine <laughs> of Hand of Pod. Uh, I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined by the wonders of the internet uh, today by Tony. Hello, everybody. I'm starting to panic and think for a second that your internet had already conked out, Tony. Uh, by Sandy. No. <laughs> Hi guys, it's a pleasure I, to be back here. And my English Dan. Hello. Uh, now we will. We have, I've been saying this uh, on and off each time we've recorded for a while now, but we will actually be starting to get back to something like semi-regularity again from now on, uh, because mm. in about a week and a half's time um, after we record this, the Copa Libertadores is going to be starting up again, which means that we will have some, some stuff to talk about, um, which will be very nice indeed. Uh, for now, however... We should mention that we are supported and have been supported throughout the pandemic by our very generous Patreon supporters. Uh, if you want to become one of them and get extra content every time we record and occasionally in between recordings as well, please go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hand of pod and uh, sign up there. There will be more things coming your way quite shortly. Um, there are not, of course, any results for me to mention because we still haven't had any football. It's now getting on for six months since we last did. But there have been some developments aside from the Libertadores. Um, gents, I'm going to hand over to whichever of you fancies tackling it, if you want to somebody raise your hand on via Zoom, um, and I'll introduce you, so that uh, you can fill us in on, on the main stories pertaining to Argentine domestic and South American club football more generally in the last couple of weeks or how long has it been since we recorded a month and a bit? Dan, do you want to take it away? Yes, thank you, Sam. Um, the big one, of course, has been, uh, logically enough, coronavirus related to, and it has to do with Boca, who uh, completely failed by, by the looks of it to kind of isolate, isolate their players, either from something the club did wrong or from players escaping or sneaking out of, uh, of training. And they've ended up with 18 players testing positive. Um, which is a lot, really. Um, and, and various members of the coaching staff as well, right? Various members of the coaching staff. Um, co- their uh, head coach, Miguel Angel Russo, didn't get it, but he's had to leave training, leave um, the team camp, because he's uh, part of the at-risk population, both because of his age and because of his medical history. I think it was a couple of years ago he came back from some kind of cancer, right? Yes. Yes, uh, yes, he he overcame a cancer, and uh, what what's what's really funny about uh, this whole situation, if well, if, if there is anything funny to take to take from, uh, is the way they announced the the number of uh, of people infected. They tried to like split it into different categories in a way, 
between asymptomatics, people with high, high symptoms, people with low symptoms in a way to try to like trickle down the number. Yeah, indeed. I think probably the most troubling part of this for Boca, apart from, you know, all of it, um, <laughs> is that they don't have any keepers. All four of them kind of frontline keepers uh, tested positive. Also no manager, because I mean, if uh, they're yeah, going to... Yeah, Russo's away. And, but, you Russo's know. away and uh, Somoza is one of, the, one of the infected people. So uh, at yeah. this point, who's going to manage? I mean, I'll... I mean, I'd well, say... If, well, if Roman calls me, I can, I can, <laughs> I can, I can make say, keeper. Yeah, put Tony in the... Is he the name Roman? I can go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my. But yeah, um, uh, Boca start their, their Libertadores campaign up again in 10 days or so. Um, and it's quite troubling. I mean, what I've read is that uh, Esteban Andrade, the first choice keeper, is is pretty much definitely out of the game because um, he not only had he not only tested positive, he's um, he's actually been quite poorly. Uh, so he's not going to be in in any fit state. He's not going to recover in time, even if he you know returns a negative test afterwards to uh, to play professional football. Um, and I think. Agustin Rossi uh, was one of the asymptomatic guys, so all going well, he might just be able to play a bit without training at all. Well, unless, unless also Marcos Diaz uh, makes a, a quick comeback to the club in a in a short-term contract, you know. I mean, it's amazing because they just signed uh, Javier Garcia, um, who you exactly. might recall from <laughs> Racing's uh, one 0 win over. Yeah, 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 yeah. Back in February. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Why? Why? Uh, he, <laughs> He played in tracks and bottoms and, and he won the game. Uh, so they drafted him in pretty much, I'm guessing, for this eventuality, just in case, you know, uh, they had a few people out and he immediately got infected with coronavirus too. Um, yeah, they're struggling. Um, I've seen a few places like Ole and other sites kind of putting together a, a potential kind of uninfected Boca side for for their first match, with, which isn't an easy one at all. Um, it's a way to Libertad in Paraguay, always, always a tricky, uh, tricky stop. And it's pretty much going to be a youth team because um, it's not, you know, most of these 18 players, uh, frontline guys, one of the few who escaped was, uh, was Carlos Tevez, but only because uh, during the test, he re they realized he'd already had the virus and therefore has the antibodies. So, he, you know, he had a lucky escape. Um, and he had some very unfortunate, uh, had some very very unfortunate words about it, about how he handled, you know, the the crisis amongst the the squad. I don't know if you can recall it. I don't. But you're saying the the player of the people was uh, was insensitive. I find this hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I I don't think the word insensitive comes to mind. I think it's he was overly sensitive in a way. Like he he said he came to each of the players' rooms to try to to cheer them up. Like, um, I wouldn't use the word insensitive, I'd rather use the word stupid, plain stupid, you know. Fair enough. Have, have there been any other examples of clubs, uh, perhaps not hit quite as badly as Boca, obviously, um, but having, having positive tests during this uh, period of, um, of, of lockdown and, and then trying to unlock down? I think um, apart from Boca, the other teams have been all right. Uh, if we focus on the on the Libertadores teams first, maybe because they're the ones yeah. most likely to play in the near future. Uh, Racing, as far as I know, haven't had 
any cases either going back to training or or while they've been training uh river had a couple of cases um prior and and on their return but their bubble's been working unlike the the boca bubble they've been all right um tigre i might have had a few cases uh i remember hearing but i can't remember offhand i wouldn't be able to confirm it i don't know if anyone else news did have some yeah so so didn't so did independiente but it was mostly i mean you know the most high profile case and it was Bustos, but he turned out to be negative uh but they were mostly um like uh fringe players like uh, mauro molina for example or youth <laughs> players <laughs> exactly exactly uh, i'm just scrolling down the um ole homepage by the way to get an idea of what the main headlines are today uh, and one of the ones that I've come across is that Boca was supposed to announce the results of more tests today and are not going Oof. to. And that there are rumours that there have been more positive tests coming back. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, early evening. Um, so by the time this goes online, that'll be a couple of days old news and it might well have come out already. But uh, for the moment, there could be another cover-up. Um, ah, but... There we go. I've got in... Tigre had a confirmed case at the start of last week. Brian... Laisa. Um, wasn't Cachete Morales also um, infected a few a few weeks ago? I think that was when they were coming back to train him, right? Exactly, yeah. But this kid, Laisa, has been, you know, within the bubble. Oh. Uh, yeah. So the, yeah, they'll make it more... Um, yeah. So they weren't training. They've been, they've been waiting for, for confirmation. It hasn't, you know, similar to Boca, but not quite on... On such a um, such an extensive scale, let's say. So yeah, Boca and and Tigre seem the most complicated at the moment. And what's the situation elsewhere? Not in terms of uh, infections necessarily, but in terms of what clubs have been doing uh, during this extended time off. I mean, obviously, uh, financially, a lot of them have been severely affected by not having any matches, not having any prize money, not having any gate in um, uh, gate income. Um, but I think Independiente have been have spent the entire lockdown on the phone with their lawyers, right, Santi? Trying to suing yeah. or leaving. I think, or... Yeah, I, I touched on it uh, on the on our previous lockdown episode, and uh, all um, even if uh, the situation might be less incendiary uh, than in previous in the, than in the previous weeks. It is still pretty bad. I think it, it kind of reflects in the rest of Argentine football in the sense that um, the only transfer needs we're getting uh, are outgoings uh, in the sense that there's barely any, any players coming on. I think only Racing and uh, maybe Boca signed, uh, well, in case of uh, Garcia, I think Racing, I don't know. I can't remember who they signed, but uh, yeah, only we, got, we have very, very few news of players coming in Instead, we got um, some news of, for example, we independently trying to trim the, the squad from those huge, huge uh, salaries uh, they, they had agreed. For example, we, we heard confirmation of uh, Cecilio Dominguez leaving to uh, Austin FC, which is an MLS franchise that doesn't exist yet. So they, they actually loaned him to Guarani in Paraguay. Um, there's also been a couple... Uh, a couple more uh, outgoings, which I can't recall exactly at the moment. But um, there's also the, the big uh, big rumors about uh, Juan Sergio leaving. But on the other hand, there's actually been some uh, contract renovations, with contract renewals, I, sorry, which have come 
a bit of a, as a bit of a surprise. Uh, for example, uh, Captain Silvio Romero made a a big U-turn, who actually was rumored to live for either River or Boca, and instead decided to uh, not only um, renew his contract for two more years, but also um, have a have a reduction of his wages, which was, um, I mean, I, really really good for for the for the economy of Independiente, I guess. I mean, he, he he's really committed, which um, is not very common. Uh, to be completely honest, among the, the independent squad. Um, they've also renewed uh, Nico Messiniti, which um, is one of the many... Uh, I was speaking to somebody else about this. I think Peter Coates. Um, one of the many Jesse Lingards of uh, the independent squad in the sense that there are many players who are um, over 21 or 23, but have, are still regulars in the reserves and are still treated as some young up-and-coming players who are just supposed to to be on their peak years and they haven't played more than 10 or 15 games for, for Independiente at the moment. And also Alan Franco, who was also very, very strongly linked to LA Galaxy and uh, still managed a way to, to renew his contract for two more years, which was uh, pretty surprising, to be honest. That doesn't mean that uh, Independiente are still expected to keep losing players. And there, there isn't a lot of, uh, of hope about some of well, players actually coming in. in, the, in for example, we know that Pocineri, uh, the manager, is making uh, big efforts to try to bring a goalkeeper, seeming uh, that uh, Martin Campagna does not want to keep playing for Independiente. He actually wants to live for free uh, in a very similar situation to his compatriot uh, Gaston Silva, who actually joined Huesca in, the, in La Liga. Uh, but uh, with that situation, might they try to uh, sign a Colombian goalkeeper, Álvaro Montero, who... Um, seems very, very unlikely to, to join in the paint. Uh, the same thing as uh, Peruvian international Pedro Gallese, who is, let's be honest, completely uh, unlikely to, to, to arrive to Independiente because given he's, uh, he's an international goalkeeper, he, was, he started for Peru at the World Cup. So, I mean, it's not very likely. So the, the two possibilities uh, that Pocineri uh, seems to be um, handling right now in terms of more um, feasible options are uh, Marcos Diaz, who is free, and uh, Sebastián Sosa, the Uruguayan goalkeeper, who, who actually uh, was in the news a couple days ago because he carved a lion in his face, in his uh, in his head. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Uh, this was the tattoo that ah. looks like the that looks like the front of the head or yeah, the face of a lion, but is on the back of his head, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So this, is the, kind of, the, the this is the kind of character that I would like um, Independiente to have at this point. Are Independiente still in the Sudamericana, Santi? Remind me. Yes, yes. Um, they, they actually, um, I don't know if you remember, but they miraculously qualified um, against, I think it was Coritiba or Goyas or some Brazil Fortaleza. Fortaleza, exactly. There we are. They, yeah. Yes, yes, they, they were managed by Rogerio Seni. I remember. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that I, was actually, a hilarious. Was actually, leg with that actually, late goal in yeah. 93rd minute goal to lose the second and, leg two one and end up squeezing through. Exactly. I don't Google know this, and uh, yeah, I remember there was uh, the last uh, podcast we actually recorded in your house, which uh, yeah, I mean, I remember it's a, it's a very very frustrating frustrating game so um so independent still have hope in that uh, in that competition with but even so i i don't think they're gonna go very far i mean there's 
there's the there's the big big possibility that in the winter are going to go two straight transfer windows without any new signings, and uh, they've um, they've already racked up more than ten uh, outgoing players. Uh, in 2020, which is uh, a lot, and um, there are a lot of um, disagreements between Pusineri and the the board, which now consists of uh, Jorge Burruchaga as a director of football, and Pablo Mojano, who still has way too much power in the in, in this kind of decisions. Who they don't really want to to add any more players to the squad. They know they're uh, they're swimming in debt, and uh, yeah, I mean this is going to be really hard, isn't it? It is. The, it the Sudamericana kicks off in, if I remember rightly, mid-September, right? It's about a month after the Libertadores does. Mid-October. Sorry, that's what I meant to say, yes, because we're in September <laughs> now, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, about a month is, after the Libertadores does, but yes. Yeah, mid- this is the kind of year that um, sometimes it, uh, it goes extremely slow and sometimes it's September, you don't know exactly when is it in the, no indeed the time all blends into one so independiente have been had some kind of action at least in the transfer market but with i guess at least a couple of matches that they know that they'll be playing this year what is the situation in terms of domestic and we'll start with the men's game because we are going to talk about the women's game now that we've got tony back on unlike last time we recorded um but domestic men's argentine football in the rest of 2020 because the Libertadores and Sudamericana coming on, as we talked about last time we recorded, kind of strong-armed the effort into saying, oh, well, we'll do this then when we, when we start playing so that the other teams can play as well. Um, but there doesn't seem to be an awful lot more that's been said or confirmed about it since then. No, absolutely nothing confirmed. Um, we're just <laughs> waiting, I think. I'm guessing the AFA want to see exactly what happens with, uh, with the first matches of the Libertadores to see if there is actually any chance uh, the return of football can be feasible uh, and then attempt to do it on, on a nationwide scale. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. Um, I don't know. Uh, right now, we don't have either a confirmed, a confirmed format or a, a confirmed return date, as far as I know. So it really wouldn't be surprising if we don't see any... Uh top flight Argentine football in the rest of 2020 in spite of what they keep saying. I mean, the problem with that is that um, a whole lot of teams are going to lose a whole lot more money. uh, Yeah, it's going to be devastating. Absolutely devastating. But not just in terms of money, but also in terms of um, of actually activity for most of the players because, I mean, as we all know, there are only about um, less than 10 teams that are actually actually confirmed to play football uh, less than 10 teams actually mm-hmm. in terms of like the international competition which is still at the very very top about uh, 13 14 games uh, and that's going to be absolutely devastating for the for the form of um, like 80% of, uh, of the players in Argentina I mean going uh, from March to probably February March next year completely uh, inactive is going to destroy them physically as well. I mean, the only consequence we're going to see is that uh, um, Argentine football's um, expectations and Argentine football's you know, standards are going to keep dropping. Yeah, I think that's um, probably a fair prediction to make. I mean, one of the examples that I've, I've got 
here just happened to be on my screen as I was as you were talking, Santi, is this news in Spain that Real Betis are going to make an offer for Lucas Martinez Cuarta of River. Um, and you kind of think from the buying club's perspective, it's a bit of a gamble now because you're talking about a player who hasn't played in six months. Um, similarly, to has Quintero actually left? He's gone to China, hasn't he? Is that confirmed? He he actually uh, sent a letter to to wave goodbye to the to his fans, but as I as far as I know, he hasn't been uh, confirmed to leave yet. Okay, well, I mean, whether he does or not, and you know, the, the same thing will happen, I'm sure, with other other Argentine clubs losing players to to foreign clubs. It, it's a risk on the part of the buying club because maybe they're not the player they were six months ago, particularly for some of the younger ones who are just coming through. Um, and it's going to take them a lot longer to get back to match sharpness, you would think. And also, um, one thing that hasn't uh, escaped me is the fact that uh, the standard of teams actually um, trying their hands at Argentine players in contrast to Brazilian players, for example, has dropped massively. I mean, you, you try to, to look for um, European clubs trying to, I mean, buy Argentine players that the only thing you're you're going to come across is just um, teams like Real Betis, this mid, uh, mid-table or lower, lower mid-table teams, uh, at best, uh, trying to try their hand at targeting the players uh, from, from the league. And if you, if, but even so, those teams are, the, are in the minority. Uh, if you want to compare, for example, with MLS and Mexico, who at the moment seem to be the most active markets trying to, trying to well, in this way, scout for for young, even young artists and talent you see for example the the links to Tiago Almada which at uh, a few weeks ago were very strong in terms of Leeds United for example have dropped massively I mean it's really the standards keep getting lower and lower and the path for Argentine players even to make it to Europe seems um, harder and harder every time yeah but on the other hand you have to think that like like Sam said, there is a gamble. There's a gamble on the financials. It's completely more cheaper to get an Argentine player. So you have to to put that in balance between the rhythm that the player has without playing for six months and how marketable and financially um, good it is because everyone is hit by COVID. Nobody has money in a way, so. Exactly, because um, Argentine players are also as cheap as they will ever be because um, I think most clubs around the world know that um, Argentine clubs, even before uh, the pandemic, were especially um, economically, well, distraught. And uh, they know that um, they will take any offer, uh, any offer that presents in front of them as long as it's in dollars. So... (laughs) You will see some outgoings for like uh, peanuts, about four or five million at at, ver- at the very best. Yeah, and helped as well by the fact that a comparatively high number of Argentine players are able to get EU passports. Of course, um, what else have been the the other kind of big issues? I mean, at the moment we're recording in the middle of an international break, of course, for the rest of the world, but it doesn't really feel like one for us because we haven't had any football anyway for absolutely ages, and there's no Argentina match. Um, for obvious reasons, South American international football, it should have been another round of World Cup qualifying, I assume, this week, uh, this weekend. Um, and that's not happening. Um, so, do, is there any kind of forecast at all? Have we heard anything from Conmebol about when 
the World Cup qualifiers might be practical? I don't know if comfortable, but uh, as far as I know, the the, the first uh, round of qualifiers would take place uh, next month. Sorry, I was muted and just pouring a mate while you were talking there, and hence the uh, <laughs> slight gap before. Next month sounds optimistic. Yeah, um, the thing is, I think the Libertadores games will serve as a as a, as a form of testing to see whether this is a viable uh, this is a viable option because well, there's already going to be a lot of traveling, uh, a fair travel between different different countries in what's uh, at the moment the the epicenter of the of the coronavirus pandemic. So if that goes along rather rather well i think uh, we could see the the qualifiers returning in october which i'm starting to get a little bit uh, to be honest a little bit impatient because with all the with all the situation around the argentine players and a lot of them actually getting some playtime and some uh, actually getting some really really good performances in europe and you know people like um, lucas ocampos who is basically uh, hitting the form of his life I really, really like to see him in, a, in an Argentina shirt as soon as possible. I mean, the big problem I see about all this is how the hell are they going to organise, not just for Argentina, but for all 10 um, South American countries, like all of these players who are based in Europe going back to South America. Um, exactly. You know, are they going to have to do two weeks quarantine when they arrive, two weeks quarantine back in Europe when they get back? I mean, well, oh, a while ago, a while ago there was the rumour... Yeah, I will go. There was the rumor that uh, the qualifiers would move to Europe and would be contested mostly by or ideally by players located in Europe, which seems a little bit far-fetched, to be honest. I mean, not do it the other way around, just restrict all all the national teams to only domestic players, and then yeah, it's sorted. Yeah, I wonder who yeah. that would, which teams both of those options would affect. Worst and which teams they benefit be most. That could be an interesting yeah. discussion. We'll, we will have a think about that in the next few minutes, um, <laughs> and we will come back to you in the second half of the podcast. Actually, maybe we could do that as an extra episode. Uh, that that could be an idea. So if you want to hear that, then get onto Patreon.com/handofpod and then wait until it gets uploaded in a little while after we record it. But for now, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back after the break, and we will talk about the Libertadores and look at which matches. Um, are due to be played when it gets back underway in uh, what are we today? Ten days six, in yeah. nine days' time, um, if my live score up is correct. Um, and then we will answer some listeners' questions. Don't go away. Welcome back. Uh, to begin the second half, before we get on to the Libertadores, um, we wanted to do this last time we recorded, but Tony's internet was uh, playing up, so he wasn't able to join us for the last recording. So, Tony, we're now a month and a bit on anyway, so there, there'll be more to tell us. Um, while we're all more or less aware of what's going on in the men's game in Argentina, which is not an awful lot, how has this uh, affected the women's game? Which, I mean, obviously, the, the most immediate way that it affected it 
back in March was that it cut short the first ever professional season. Um, and, and how are, are the various clubs and players uh, coping with that situation now? And, and is there any kind of outlook in terms of getting back to playing this year? I mean, I guess at least the women are going to be used to playing in front of far smaller crowds than the men. So maybe it's less of an issue if they have to play into empty stadiums. It should. Yeah. I mean, um, taking into account that, like you said, uh, the men's game doesn't have a lot of uh, big news except for Boca being a, a contagious uh, focus. Um, there's not a lot to be, to be told because technically they, they had to start training either the, the week the sh- it's finishing right now or, or starting depending if you want to, to count from Sunday or not. But the idea was to start training in the beginning of September and they, were distrib- they will distribute uh, testing kits tomorrow from the AFA so the club doesn't have to pay for them. There's some questions regarding the, um, the protocol to be, to be uh, followed because, for example, we have some situations where some players are partners in like normal life, but they play for different clubs. So that makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes to trace or to make it more clear uh, when the testing are done, if both are clear or not. So there's a little bit of... Um, details to be polished in that regard. But I assume, and this is uh, also pushed by, by Commable, I suppose, uh, there has to be some, some games uh, before the end of the year for sure, because uh, another thing that COVID stopped was the Sudamericano Sub-20. The Argentina was uh, eliminate, eliminated, but they had to finish it. And, and they were move... hosting as well, weren't they? Exactly. They had to move the... The, the hosting cities from San Juan and San Luis to Buenos Aires to make it more uh, accessible, I suppose, and we have more uh, hospitals and, and hotels available. But that should be played according to Commonwealth in a month and a half. But that was determined like two months ago. So I really don't know where that stands right now. I think they're just thinking about Libertadores. And, this yeah, this I mean, is another example, sorry to interrupt on it, but this is another no, example, of, a bit like the Libertadores in Sudamericana in the men's game, where Conmebol have basically forced the Argentine government into allowing something that the Argentine government didn't want to allow, which is football in Argentina, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. And, and yeah, I could just go back to, to the local tournament uh, testing we're going to be done uh, now. I do know there is some uh, players... They were from the interior that are a lot, actually. Um, and most of them play in Buenos Aires because most of the teams of the Primera Division are from Buenos Aires, except from Rosario Central. So, uh, or Villa San Carlos or the Estudiantes de la Plata. But the thing is that they did travel. So t- I do think that some tests are going to be positive. I know there, are, there were some positive uh, cases in excursionistas, for example. Back when uh, the last episode was about to be recorded, uh, but didn't went on for to be more more uh, grave cases, which is normal cases. If that allows me to say to say that there were normal cases, um, but yeah, I do expect uh, some situations where some trainings are going to be delayed or with uh, less players or something like that. But there's no clear path um, regarding the return of the Primera. What I would like to add is the given the FIFA did pay the money from the Women's World Cup, the, the, the prize money, 
Uh, now, between FIFA and AFA, they made, and there was announced on the day of the female footballer, um, they, were, they announced a plan from here to 2025 for the teams that were going to play in the Primera. They're going to have, in 2021, they will have to uh, have more than eight, eight contracts. I think it was 12. Um, and they will have to, to form under-19s and under-21 teams. And in 2025, it will be a complete teams of professionals with under-17s and under-14s. I might be wrong on, on, on the age group, but that's the idea to be uh, to try to uh, make a better uh, pathway for, for youth and talent to come uh, into the Primera División. Also, they're insisting on making um, the Copa Argentina. It's not the actual name, but it's the Copa Argentina on a female level uh, between the teams in the Primera, like I said, mostly from the metropolitan area and teams from regional uh, tournaments in the interior. That all sounds very interesting. So, so is this idea of uh, working towards fully professional squads by 2025, this is going to be with FIFA financial support or something, I assume? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Like the, the news that just broke out about Brazil, they're going to pay the same percentage to, to the females and, and males. Uh, the idea is with the start with the, the new teams or the team having uh, official under 19s, under 21s, under 17s to develop the, the game and also the Copa Argentina that should be start playing next year if all goes well. And how have the, the clubs un, until this recent payment for FIFA, how, how have they been supporting themselves? Um, through lockdown when they can't train, they can't play matches. And a lot of the clubs, remember, in the Primera as well, are, you know, a, a lot of them are the same clubs that we're used to talking about in, in, on an institutional level, week in, week out in the men's game. Um, but a, a fair number of them as well are, are much, much smaller clubs who presumably have had far bigger problems in terms of finances coming in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of them, except obviously Boca River, San Lorenzo, um, the players just... Uh, relied on their day uh, jobs, <laughs> their, their Monday to Friday jobs, because uh, just to give a little bit of remind, reminder, it's not actually a professional league yet. Uh, as it is, they don't leave. Uh, they don't have the money to leave um, with playing. Yeah, to get uh, a living. To, to, yeah, to exactly. Get you don't, you don't, they're, you don't not, they're not full-time. They're, they're part-time, essentially, with the money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But some some teams are more reserved in terms of uh, if they have the facilities uh, to um, disinfect the, 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 the locker rooms or the training rounds and everything else. There's really not a lot of information in that regard. Uh, so it's kind of... Uh, so far, I think we're just thinking about testing and I don't know how the things are going to come out in terms of, of training. I suppose that teams like Vicious and Carlos are going to struggle a lot in that. But yeah, it's, it's a good question that there's not really a lot of information around. Thanks, Tony. There have obviously been one or two um, big transfers. I'm aware of one that I think would count as a big transfer on a world level involving an Argentine player. Uh, and we will be talking about those um, in Hand of Pod Extra in just a while. So again, if you want to hear more about that, then get over to patreon.com slash Hand of Pod and give us your money. 
Back to the men's game, the Copa Libertadores. I'll run through quickly who the Argentine sides are going to be playing. Um, and then we'll have a look at all of the group standings to remind ourselves. Because I think I'm right in saying that group, the, the, the second round of group matches just about ended before lockdown finished, uh, before lockdown started, sorry. Um, so the first team for Argentina who are involved, I think that all of the Argentine sides are going to be playing on the 17th of September um, by the look of it. So... Racing that was part of the arrangement, right? With Commonwealth. Oh, I see. That's why days the others are... Okay, right. Yeah. That explains it. I was wondering why there was a gap and why they were like that seemed to be the last teams coming into it. Um, Racing are at home to Nacional. That's Uruguayan Nacional, isn't it, Dan? Montevideo Nacional, yes. Thank you. San Paulo will host River Plate in what I think way back in the mist of time when the world was normal, uh, we had agreed was the group of death, but I might be wrong about that. Um, Defensa y Justicia are at home to Delphine of Ecuador. Ecuador yeah. Uh, yeah, Ecuador, yeah. Of the sea. Indeed, yes. Um, Boca, as Dan said earlier, will be visiting Libertad in Asuncion, uh, possibly the safest capital city in all of South America in terms of coronavirus. Um, in terms of coronavirus, at least, yeah. Yeah, and Tigre will be away to Guarani, also in Paraguay, um, at a match that kicks off at 11 o'clock at night our time, so that'll be nice. Um, it, it, one of the things that I think we mentioned in, in passing before is that a lot of Argent- the Argentine club's opponents are going to stand a, a pretty heavy advantage against them in that they've all been playing for you know competitive matches, or nearly all of them have been playing their domestic leagues and whatnot in the meantime. Um, Mm-hmm. I, I'm not yes. anywhere near as optimistic about any of the Argentine club's um, chances in this tournament as I was when the tournament kicked off and we just assumed it was going to be played as normal. There was at least some good news for a river. You hear Do about tell. This? Go on. Um, Binacional, their home, um, home uh, city of Juliaga, is one of the most affected places by coronavirus in Peru. So they've had to move their game to Lima, which means they won't be playing at 3,000-odd metres altitude. They'll be playing right by the sea, which must come as a relief for River after losing their first game at altitude 3-0 to Liga de Quito. You'd say Indeed, it must, yeah. Considering they won their second game against Binacional 8-0, um, yeah, that's <laughs> got to come as some relief, right? Yeah, you would think so. And also after River's struggles in various matches in altitude really throughout Marcelo Gachardo's um, managership, uh, even while being tremendously successful by a large at continental level. They've had some, some pretty underwhelming results in places like La Paz and, um, and as you say, in Quito. Um, well, let's remember in those first games, actually, it was uh, Binacional managed to beat Sao Paulo at home, obviously at altitude, and then lost 8-0 to River. So yeah, you could you could say they they benefited. Oh wait, quite, the uh, eight nil game what actually happened? Yes, uh, <laughs> allegedly so. It's on the books at least. Way back when in the EFA. Yeah, it's indeed River River currently top Group B uh, Group D. Sorry, everybody's got three points, um, but River have a goal difference of plus five. Sao Paulo have a goal difference of plus two. Liga de Quito have a goal difference of zero, um, and Binacional have a goal difference of minus seven. Um, <laughs> Which is an interesting spread. So it's going to um, be a very interesting group that with with two teams, you know, at least nominally playing at, at altitude. 
one to watch for sure. Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Although, as I say, I, I, I'm not sure that it, it's going to be interesting to see. I think for all of the Argentine sides, how whether they can hit the ground running or whether this this extended period without any football. Um, is going to be as big a handicap as I suspect it will be. Uh, Group A, Independiente atop of that, also on goal difference. Uh, they and Flamengo both have six points from their first two matches um, with Atletico Junior and Barcelona um, of Ecuador uh, if, making the, the, the runners-up spots for now. Uh, in Group B, it's Palmeiras at the top with six points, Guarani and Bolívar both on three points and no goals of goal difference, but Guarani have scored three, whereas Bolivar have scored two, so nominally Guarani in second for now, with Tigre yet to pick up a point, perhaps unsurprisingly, given that they're in the second division down here. Um, Group C doesn't have any Argentines, but I'll run you through it anyway. They're all on three points. They're separated by... (laughs) Actually, this is quite impressive. Wilsterman topped the group with a goal difference of plus one, Colo Colo are bottom of the group with a goal difference of minus one. Atletico Paranaense and Peñarol both have one goal for and one goal against. Um, do not watch group matches in Group games. C if you want to see entertainment. Absolutely <laughs> cracking. Yeah. Winston have scored two and conceded one. Colo Colo have scored one and conceded two. So really not very many goals at all in that game, in that group. Um, group D, we've already taken you through. That was the River Group. Group E, Internacional and Gremio. Both have four points in Group E. Uh, America de Cali have three. And Universidad Católica of... Is this the Ecuadorian one or are they in the Sudamericana? If it, has a, U with a, if it has a U with, a, with a, a light blue sash, then it's uh, the Ecuadorian. Oh, I'm just, I'm just looking at the, um, at the names here. I've, I've not got the badges oh. visible. But I think that this is the Chilean one. I think that the, the Ecuadorians, who we'd never heard of until about a year ago, are in the Sudamericana again. But anyway, they're <laughs> bottom. Um, group F is topped by Racing. Nacional mm-hmm. is second. So this is all to play for uh, when the Libertadores does get back underway, both with six points. Estudiantes de Merida and Alianza Lima are the two teams who have lost both of their matches so far. So one of them at least will have points after the next round of games, of course, because they're playing each other. Group G, Santos have six points. Olimpia of Paraguay have four. Delfin uh, of, as we mentioned already, um, Venezuela, no, Ecuador, sorry, Ecuador. have won. And Defensa y Justicia have yet to pick up a point. And in Group H, Libertad are top with six points. Boca Juniors, who visit them, of course, um, have four points. Caracas have one point. And Independiente Medellin have no points yet. Um, are Caracas and are there any other Venezuelan sides still left in this? Yeah, Estudiantes de Merida. Are they going to be able to carry on playing? Because, I mean, Venezuela's got to be even more complicated than the rest of the continent, you would think, in many ways. They haven't played a single match um, like Argentina since, uh, since March. Uh, I think they are training now. Um, but there's, there's no league football to speak of. So I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do about that. But as far as Combebol are concerned, the matches involving Venezuelan sides are going ahead in spite of the fact that even aside from coronavirus, that must have been iffy uh, before the lockdowns began. Well, I think uh, Venezuela were one of the two countries who well, were more um, reserved to, to carry on with, a, with the Copa Libertadores schedule as it is uh, alongside Argentina, right? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, they, they were... Was it this year or was it last ah, year? When, when, yeah. Was it this year or last year when the Venezuelan sides were having to play at like two o'clock in the afternoon because they kept having power cuts and the, the um, floodlights kept going out. 
So they had to rearrange season. all the kickoff times. It was last season, wasn't it? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so th- that's the situation. I mean, you know, Santa, you're an independiente fan. Dan, you're a, a Racing fan. Tony, you're nominally, I suppose, a, a sort of Boca fan. Are, are any of you? <laughs> are, are any of you particularly optimistic about your chances of of getting out of the groups? At least, I mean, Racing have won won their first two matches. Independiente have won their first two matches as well. So that's a bit of a cushion, right, against a potentially rocky restart without very much football under your belts. How did you get Independiente into the into the, the Libertadores? Exactly. I mean, I was I was actually wondering what happened in the middle. Thinking of Independiente the, the, group a, the Group A table I'm looking at says Independiente think, and Flamengo. Um, that's you're sure it's Independiente and Exactly, yeah. Okay. The last Copa Sudamericana, the, the Copa Sudamericana holders. I was wondering why none of you picked me up when I said that they were going to be playing against uh, somebody or other earlier. But, yeah, I right. thought I thought you I thought you were already like um, replacing independiente of uh, independiente from Argentina with independiente del Valle. Uh, no, this <laughs> but, is why uh, because on the actual on the list of fixtures it's got it written out in full, so I didn't read it out because it says <laughs> independiente del Valle against Flamengo, but then in the group standings it just says independiente, uh, and between that and the fact that there's an in- Sam, you mute yourself. <laughs> Sorry, be- between that and the uh, and the fact that there's an independiente Medellin who are actually written as independent Medellin, um, yeah, I got confused. So thank you for that. But anyway, Dan, Tony, yes. are you particularly optimistic about uh, Racing and Boca's chances, at least, of getting out of this group stage, or do you think it's going to be an uphill struggle in spite of that fairly promising uh, first couple of games for both of your sides? Uh, what I'd say about Racing is that um, they they did very well in getting that six point cushion. Uh, from the first two games and what we saw from those first two games as well um, is that both Estudiantes de Merida and Alianza Lima are shit Um, (laughs) which helps Racing a lot Um, obviously they're going to have to make up a lot of of lost time with training and whatnot. and I think that first game hello Noel look who's come to join me I think that first game against Nacional, it's going to be a case of sticking all 11 men behind the ball and, and just trying to get a point from it. I think a point would be a fantastic result for, for Racing, all things considered. And from there, you think that, you know, a point against Nacional and, and four more from the, from the last three games and, and they're home. And that should be, should be en- eminently uh, uh, doable for, for Racing. So... Yeah, I think um, they. Uh, there's no excuse really with that group because I've seen Nacional as well. I watched the uh, the Super Clásico Uruguayo the other day against Peñarol, and, and Nacional aren't great shakes either. Uh, apart from you know the the star of the moment for cor- during the coronavirus pandemic, Lavandina Bergesia. You know he was <laughs> he was born for this moment really with that nickname. Um, apart from him. Uh, it's, they're very limited uh, as a team. And yeah, even given everything that's happening, uh, Racing can't, can't make any excuses for, for letting it go now and not quali- qualifying, I don't think. Um, if I had to add up, uh, because you normally tell me that I'm a Boca fan, I will, I will say that I think they're pretty good. I mean, Caracas and Machine, Machine doesn't have any points. 
uh, they have to play against Libertad, obviously, but in the top of the group. So if Oka against Nacho win, they're going to be in all position. I don't think they're going to have a lot of problems. That if they have players to play. <laughs> if they have enough players to present. This is the big th- question, yeah. That's if the big Tony question. Ends, if Tony ends up in goal, it might be a bit more tricky. but Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in the Altia situation where they can present up kind of competitive, if you, you think also of the situation of the other teams in the group and where the countries are, um, uh, they have the restriction to train and everything else, I think they, don't, they won't have much of a problem. I'm a little bit more eager to know about the Sudamericana and Union, to be honest, but okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry to uh, just dump you into the, um, the Boca supporting back there, Tony, but for the purposes of this discussion, um, I thought yeah. it would be best. In terms of, I've just had a very quick look at, at the teams in Rivers Group, and Sao Paulo currently top the Brazilian League after nine matches. Liga de Quito are topping the first stage of the Ecuadorian League. Actually, actually, uh, aren't um, Inter de, de Porto Alegre currently topping the, the Brazilian League after their result a few minutes ago? They a drew... few minutes ago? Oh, okay. That's interesting. Let's see. Hang on. Because the, the, the standings dropped. that I've just... Just looked up for Serie A, have Sao Paulo on, this is all from nine matches, on 19 points. Inter second on 18 points. And it's oh. their match is finished. Oh, okay, uh, okay. So, so I'm assuming that Sao Paulo are still top. Uh, Liga de Quito are top in Ecuador. Um, and Binacional, as we say, possibly don't particularly matter. But then, you know, everybody on that, in that group has got three points. So what are Binacional doing? Um, they are... In Liga Uno, I'm not sure how many matches are actually taking place in Liga Uno in in um, Peru at the moment. Oh, they are playing, yeah. And last match is on the first of September, and they are fifth. Um, so it, I, I, River have possibly, you know, one of the stronger teams, um, one of the stronger Argentine teams in terms of where they would have expected to be challenging for the Libertadores at the beginning of the year and yet now have a, a pretty challenging situation themselves if they can't overcome this small lack of um, football in recent months. Um, so we shall see. Anyway, we will move on to listeners' questions now. We have had a fair few, unsurprisingly, given how long it's been since we recorded. And I'm going to go back down and see whether I can find the start of our mentions today. Uh, here we go. Matthew Burgess, who helped me out just last night, entirely coincidentally, not knowing that we were about to record by saying, when can we expect a new pod? Hope everyone's safe and well. So thanks for that, Matt. Um, And the answer is right now. Um, And that provided me with a very easy way of finding uh, how far down my my mentions I had to scroll. David Novoshevsky says, just the basics. One, how are you all? I'm I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Other three. Surviving. Not too bad. Can't complain. Mustn't grumble. Oh, to make pizza, so yeah, okay. And two, Actually, I have complained, uh, but yeah, I think I, <laughs> I'm dealing with it. And two, is there a start date for the season yet? Um, I think that we've probably covered that one already. Domestically, the answer is no. Um, in terms of international football, the answer is theoretically, but in practice, possibly also no. And in terms of the Libertadores and Sudamericana, yes, there are. Um, Lee Bartlett says, any update on the promotion situation from the Nacional to the Liga Profesional de Football um, for San Martín de Tucumán and Atlanta? Dan, I'm guessing that's one that you can fill us in on. Yeah, at the moment, um, as it stands, San Martín de Tucumán and Atlanta and Atlanta will not be going up and they will 
also barely have an advantage if, and it's a big if, the national season restarts because the latest plans would see all of the 26, I think, national teams uh, enter a reducido, a playoff, um, wow. to, play for, to play for the two spots going up to, to the Primera for, for next season. And as far as I can... I can Sorry, the entire league, all 26 sides just going into a... All 26 sides, even the ones who were almost <laughs> relegated. But So that, that's like, a, like a, well, I, I don't know if uh, we have any followers yeah. have to, that have followed this, but like the MLS is back tournament. But Something like that, yeah. That's the idea. And the only advantage the, the teams at the top will get is a uh, is sporting advantage. So like a bye. Games ended up, no, if their games ended up uh, draws, they would go uh, then, through... With sporting advantage. The, the, team, the team were further up the table uh, when exactly. the lockdown happened, right? I yes. see. Well, that but sounds that, absolutely dreadful. Yeah. And also, San Martin de Tucumán's uh, legal battle with the AFA continues. Uh, it's going to go to TAS at some point. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what happens there. That's, that's the first word I've actually heard Noel say. Yeah, because. Well, he was, I've heard him gurgle he before. Was, <laughs> no way. He's having a nap and now he's waking up. No, but he never shuts up. He's he's incredible. Wow. That's so we, we've uh, we've inaugurated we've inaugurated uh, a baby's word in this podcast. Uh, yeah. Now this is a landmark. Are you gonna say hello? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, Darren wow. Paul. Darren Paul says I recently discovered Maxi Royce. A 39-year-old basketballer for a Torneo Federal team, Hachal BC, who cooks people, uh, which it turns out is basketball slang for just being really good. Um, who is your favourite 37-plus-year-old footballer in Argentina? Oh, there's so many to choose from. Um, I mean, Pablo Villasu for so, so many years. I'm uh, going to but... throw out Jose Sand uh, early doors, yeah. because, partly because Spot if Jose on. Sand scores... A, a goal again now in the Argentine top flight he will become mm -hmm. the Argentine league's all-time oldest goal scorer uh, I think it, it, he had to score one after like the 13th of this month or something I must say I'm quite partial to Juan Mercier as well it's, it just seems like a decent bloke it's not technically playing in Argentina right now but he's Argentinian Picante Pereira Oof. Yeah. Cesar Picante Pereira one of the few players who is actually playing for Deportivo Maldonado Mm -hmm. Yep, he wants to return wow. to Union somehow. Yeah. Yes, really yeah, is playing think, for uh, them rather than just uh, pretending yeah. to be on their Exactly. Bus. So um, I was, uh, well, I, it's a shame you said 37 year old, Darren, because um, Pulgar Rodriguez is 35. But uh, yeah, in a couple of years' time, he's going to be my go to. I've just muted Dan's microphone temporarily while uh, Noel babbles into it so that our listeners don't get too distracted. <laughs> but Dan, feel free to unmute yourself if you do want to uh, butt in on any of these. Um, I, think to, I think he's trying to um, give his view on who's uh, his favourite uh, 37 plus player in Argentina. I mean, oh, at, at Noel's age, you, 37 must, must seem like 100 years old. His dad, probably. <laughs> Um, I was going to say that Lisandro Lopez is now turned 37, so he clearly goes to the top of the queue, and I'm absolutely flabbergasted that Darren didn't mention him, I must say. And how about uh, Cristian Lucchetti, who's actually 40-plus and still going? It's a remarkable record. Although for a goalkeeper, perhaps not quite as impressive as for an outfielder would be. 
Well, Garant is 42. Oh, you're right. You're right. Uh, Darren Paul says, any news on the future of the women's game in Argentina? I know we've re- we, being Racing in Darren's case, uh, have retained and signed a number of players. Friend of the filial, Natalie Juncos, is back. But any word on when they will be able to play? Tony has kind of already answered that one for us. I yeah, think. And, and just, to, just to add a little bit, I'm going to correct myself because there's something that just was uh, published. The testing are going to be done on 25 and the training is on 27 because they want to play in November. Just a little update to correct myself. So they're going to be playing over the summer or just for like a month or so before a summer break? Yeah, they're going to do like a short tournament. That's the idea. Right, I see. Uh, Jamie says, how confident are you that we will have domestic football back on the 25th? (laughs) That's not going to happen. Not at all, basically. Not at all. I mean, the question is whether we're going to have any top flight football before 2020 ends. So... Yeah, I, personally, I can't see that. I, I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's going to be realistic at all. Um, Jamie adds, the news that Rosario has gone back to a strict 14-day lockdown with Newell still being allowed to train, bizarrely, doesn't fill me with confidence. And I think that you're correct in being unconfident there, Jamie. In a related question, Gustavo Malamud, former Hand of Pod contributor, says, what, if you have a formed opinion on it, would be the best ways slash protocols slash options to help speed up bringing the public back to stadiums. Um, the first one, I think, is, is that you have to actually have football happening in those stadiums again. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I mean, the next, uh, the, uh, the, I, I find it difficult to imagine that happening until public transport is open to those of us who aren't in essential jobs again. Um, it just yeah, seems completely. bizarre to me that you'd have, you wouldn't be allowed on the subte or on the bus, but you would be allowed to go pack yourselves into the, the Bombonera or the Monumental or Argentino Juniors or whichever other ground in the, in, in the Buenos Aires area. But you can, you can see... try what San Jose is doing. Sorry, sorry, Dan. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes is playing in a like, lead, more uh, open stadium, like a training ground, and they ask people to go, like 50 people, to go in their cars so they watch the game from the car. Oh, like River. Like they, they, they're planning to do before, uh, while they're in making some renovations to the, to the Monumental. Well, there you go. But that's not going to be the stadium, is it? Because River are planning to use their training ground, I think. Well, there you go. Uh, I believe, but people, yeah. Uh, people uh, gathering at the training ground. Goose also asks, what do you think of the whole clusterfuck situation the AFA has created regarding promotions from the Primera Nacional to the Primera División? Uh, which Dan sort of answered, but Dan, what do you think of it? Yeah, we should say that um, perhaps Gustavo is not an entirely disinterested voice in this, <laughs> given his, uh, his club affiliations. He's one of the good people of, of Atlanta. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a complete mess. Um, but again, I mean, obviously it's easy to say, yeah, after fucking everything up as always, what are they doing? But I mean, uh, what's the alternative? Is it kind of just saying, "Oh yeah, Atlanta and 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 San Martin they were top of the the groups when this when the season arbitrarily finished back in March, so they they get to go up." Is that fair to the other teams, or do you take I don't know ten teams at the top, uh, put them in a playoff, and and leave the other sixteen teams without football until? And until next year, and probably probably cause them to fold. It's yeah, it's a situation 
Well, there's no easy answer. No, you know, whatever you do is going to piss people off and, and be unfair, I think. Um, just to go back to the, the, the first question so I can get a chance uh, to answer it, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if uh, we're not back in, in stadiums until there's a vaccine available until well into 2021 because given kind of the, the format of, of Argentine stadiums, the terracing, ticket and policies, everything like that, like, I just can't see how they can do it socially distanced. I, um, no, no chance. Unless, Even if they try, know, the, the crowds will ignore the, the regulations anyway. Exactly. Um, no, there's, there's just no way to do it. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, hope you're all well, gents. How has the country taken to the Messi saga? Are New Orleans fans hopeful that he'll return one day? The, the I thing mean, that we've um, been trying to avoid talking about for the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, on the Neil's question, I think um, if you ask most Neil's fans and um, considering they actually uh, put out uh, Van der Asso trying to convince Messi to leave um, Barcelona for Neil's right now, I think they are pretty confident now from that to actually happen, it would require some seismic changes in Argentine football, to be honest. And, I mean, if, uh, if Messi had decided to move to Newell's right now, then he'd be basically saying, yeah, I don't feel like playing football for the foreseeable future because God knows when they'll be able to play again. Exactly. And uh, he, he wouldn't be interested in, I don't know, living safely, earning good money, um, I don't know. He would be. His head would have to be um, assessed at a at a lab or something if he if he decided to leave for news right now. But uh, even taking that uh, well that uh, rumor out of the equation, yeah. And the Messi situation, I think it's fair to say that it's been um, all around us um, in a way actually quite tiring uh, because I mean there. For there were a lot of uh, there were there was uh, for a long time very little new information and a lot of speculation until well, Messi actually spoke. And uh, I think, in in my opinion, the takeaway I get from the from the Messi situation is that he um, he wanted to leave Barcelona. It, it is quite clear, not not because uh, not because of the of the A two like he said, but because I mean he he actually expressed it that. Um, Fated, uh, fateful interview that he had been telling uh, Bartomeu for a long time that he went to leave. Uh, actually, uh, in terms of his legal case, if he, if he wanted to to go into into trial with Barcelona, um, there there have been several sources that uh, would have backed his claim to to get rid of his contract uh, early because of that. Uh, Clause which uh, said he could uh, he could be free to to move to to another club at the end of the 2019-2020 season, but if he went uh, into that direction, Barcelona would have not only taken Messi to court but also the the club which uh, offered him a contract to court. And I think um, no club would have wanted to get into the into that mess. Which if Messi decided to leave Barcelona for free would have prematurely ended his career because there would be no club who wants to sign him. So there was only one way he could go, just to wait until January or until, well, Bartomeu leaves Barcelona. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Liam also asks, I read Dan's article about the second division, which was a poor decision from the AFA, but what's happening with the Primera B, C, 
and D, uh, which are the third, fourth and fifth divisions. Is their season null and void? Yeah, the same essentially. All, all of the different uh, lower league tiers have, um, have come to an end. They came to an end in March and uh, there is no relegation at any level. Uh, promotion will be decided in a tournament similar to what I explained for the Nacional, um, but still TBD in all cases. I see. Thank you. Um, and Razvan Bruno Ifrim has the final question of the night. He says, are you guys surprised that Marcelo Gachardo was not chosen as the new Barcelona coach? No. Nope. No. no. Uh, there wasn't even time to consider him, right? Because they, they, they appointed Koeman almost on the same day that Setien left. Uh, I think it was all, all arranged kind of beforehand, uh, before even that second decision was, was taken. I mean, I do think Gachardo is a really, really good coach. I mean, don't, don't get me confused, but I don't think it's there to get a Barcelona. I mean, I do see him, I don't know, moving to Monaco if the opportunity arises, but not to Barcelona. Not yeah, the thing, with the, the thing with Gallardo is that um, it is very, very, very difficult that he will uh, enjoy um, the same sense of power and the same sense of uh, respect that he has from uh, both uh, River players and the River board right now in the sense that um, with whoever, um, whichever European uh, or well, any other team abroad takes him it's, it's not going to be um, a case where players, uh, he, he instructs players to throw themselves, off, throw themselves off a bridge and they will do it without hesitation. I mean, there's going to be a lot more scrutiny, a lot more, um, yeah, it's going to be much more difficult. And unless he moves to a, to a place where he is actually well uh, respected, like uh, Marco, where he won a league on title and uh, PSG, even with uh, people like uh, Neymar and uh, Icardi in the dressing room, it's going to be very, very difficult to exert the same level of influence and authority as he, he is um, exerting at River Plate. Yeah, I think the other, the, the interesting thing for me about Gachardo is, is that if you subscribe to uh, Jonathan Wilson's um, view that with a, a couple of obvious uh, exceptions like Alex Ferguson, um, elite football managers only get about a decade at the top. Um, if, if you do believe that, which I, I think that it's a, a fairly persuasive statement um then his time at river might actually be as good as it's ever going to get for Marcelo Gachardo as a manager um and so to an extent his his sub you know whatever he does after leaving river um might turn into be a, a bit of a what if like you know how might his career have gone had he left for Europe at the very first opportunity that he got uh, where where might he have gone from there I mean look yeah, at Carlo Bianchi like what happened with Bianchi exactly mm. yeah and he had several tries. He, he traded Rome, he traded Atletico Madrid, and none of those moves um, were successful in any way. So Obviously, this is speculative. You know, he, he might go on to Europe and be, have a brilliant decade there as well, but um, maybe we'll never find out. Um, I think he needs to do it soon, I'd say. Um, I, if he was going to go to Barcelona, I thought that January would have been perfect, both for him, for River, for Barcelona. This time nah. wouldn't... It would have been I a disagree. mess. Yeah, yeah, in January it would have been a mess as well, I think, because... Uh, I, I mean, mean, at some point he has to leave River. I mean, he, he always says he doesn't want to leave in January for, I don't know what reason, they're in the middle of a 
of the uh, Superliga, Liga Profesional fight, and then he doesn't want to leave in the winter because they're in the middle of the Libertadores. He's going to... Yeah, that's, that's the thing with... Uh, or, yeah, that, that's or the thing with South American football. You're, you're always in the middle of something. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think... Obviously, River have had fantastic success over the, you know, these last six years with Gacharro, but, but you can't take it for granted. It, for granted either. I mean, River could, as we just said, with everything that's happened, bomb out of the Libertadores, being a right mess until next year, and perhaps Gacharro ends up leaving with, with nothing planned. And I mean, you've got to take advantage of, of the chances, I think, uh, if you're at that, if you're at this level of of uh, professional football. Indeed, yeah. Um, on that note, I think that's it for this episode. We'll be back in around about two weeks' time, if that's all right with you guys, to uh, review what happens on the pitches across South America, whether Libertadores is going to be happening. We're going to have some actual football to talk about, which will be tremendous. And how many exciting. cases are going to be? Yes, and... and just how bad the situation is getting off the pitch as well. Um, so we, we will fill you in on whether Boca Juniors can manage to put together a team consisting of players over 12 years old um, and many other interesting things. Whenever it is, we're next able to record, but it will be sometime in September because once the first round of matches um, in the, the third round, sorry, of matches in the Libertadores group stages has happened, uh, I will endeavour to get to, together another recording. For now, we're going to go off and record Hand of Pod Extra for our wonderful Patreon supporters. Don't forget that you can join them at patreon.com slash handofpod. Uh, thank you and goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Santi. Bye, guys. Tony. Goodbye. And me, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.